0: Welcome everyone to Coffee and Poets with In at Naked Lounge. I'm Dr. V.S. Chochesi, and today I'm interviewing Mariana Souza, who I've known since she was a teenager, at least, maybe longer. Let me tell you a little bit about Miss Mariana. Mariana Souza has been a community activist and performing artist in the greater Sacramento area for more than 20 years. With a wide range of experience as a motivational speaker, organizer, events host, and youth mentor, she is dedicated to edutainment as a means to serve the community. Encompassing a wide range of talent in the arts, Miss Mariana is a hip hop artist, poet, singer, and actress determined to display an authentic message about facing challenges in the face of adversity. Please help me welcome Miss Mariana. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let me unpack your bio a little
1: bit. Oh, unpack it. Okay. Unpack there you go. your bio. We're we going on a trip. Yeah. Oh, are we here. We on we on the trip.
0: We're on the journey. Okay, we're on the journey. We're on here the we journey. go. Here we go. So I've known you for so long and I've seen many sides of your various talents. As a hip-hop artist, a songstress, a poetess, a public speaker, and so forth. But I want to start with hip-hop. Okay. So what does hip-hop, what does it mean to be a hip-hop artist?
1: (laughs) I'll say for a long time, I was told that I was a big mouth and bossy. And hip-hop was the lane that I was able to be that unapologetically. Uh, The first rap I wrote was in sixth grade for the talent show. And at that time, I really liked salt and pepper. And they were real, real, real loud and boisterous and controversial. And so even at six in the sixth grade, I knew how to be sassy, but I didn't know what I wanted to say, because I wasn't a bad girl. And so I remember, oh boy, you being discreet. I didn't even know the context <laughs> of the word, but it rhymed with snap my feet or stab my feet. So I remember we did our audition and we just did a little two-step through the whole thing and I rap, rap, rap. And then, even though I didn't say any bad words, it was the attitude they didn't like. Mm. Um, and we were disqualified. We were not allowed to be in the school talent show in the sixth grade. Wow. And so that made me want to be an MC even more. And so, what I realized is I'm just a powerful person when I speak, and I need to be in an environment in a lane where I don't have to ask permission. And I don't have to be told that I'm too loud or I'm too boisterous or my ideas are a little bit too controversial. So that's what was my introduction. And in high school, uh, my boyfriend at the time was a, a DJ and he dug in the crates. And so that was like my foundation into going on that journey and you know learning about all the classics and things like that and he wrote my first rap and I was like nah I got to write my own raps man I can't I can't do your 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 flow is <laughs> cool but I can't even memorize it cuz it's just not me so I just kept writing and writing. So we had our little small band in high school, Baby Son Kids, and I did another band with the Hardhead Committee, and you know, my family thought I was crazy because I was shaving off my hair and wearing cowrie shells, and you know, they didn't know what was wrong with me because I was the community princess. But that hip-hop was that outlet for me to be angry, for me to confront, and for me to really find myself and find my voice.
0: All right. Yeah. See, as long as I've known you, I'm still learning. <laughs> uh, my favorite song by you, hands down, so far, and I I'm probably haven't heard all of your mm-hmm. music, but is flipping and folding. <laughs> I, so I love that one. So I old. get up in the morning sometimes, I <laughs> put that on, and I just rock right with flipping and folding. Yeah. So I was looking for the video, mm-hmm. but I couldn't find. There wasn't one. Yeah, couldn't find it. Yeah. Okay, so there isn't one. That was my Mm -hmm. next question. (laughs) And uh, my next question is how do decisions get made about which cuts to make a video for?
1: Oh, I'm just a broke, starving artist when it comes to having the money and produ- producing on that level. Um, a lot of what I do is bartering. You know, a lot of times I see people and they're like, "We need writing, or we need styling, or we need, you know, hair done for the crew, or things like that." Um, so, you know, in the beginning, a lot of it is what can we trade because we're all broke and we're all starving, and our equipment costs a lot of money. So, for me, a lot of the videos that I've done so far have been, you know, people who are in videography or just like me. You You know, they're local. They're um, galvanizing their resources and skills and trying to find and hone in on their craft in a way that a lot of it is paying dues by just being giving reciprocity and sharing your gifts. So a lot of the videos I have done, or the I say the handful that I've done, have just been with ambitious people who have a gift and a skill, and they're like, "We like your work. We want you in our portfolio. What what can we do to to collaborate and exchange?" So I don't really say that I'm at a point where there's executive decisions made. I think that wherever I'm at in that moment, what I'm feeling and what I'm hitting on, that's what I'll say. Okay, I want to record that if at the time I have the the means and the resources to do it so yeah once once I get more of a budget and investing that's probably when those executive decisions will get a little <laughs> bit more you know cut and dry
0: okay well mm-hmm. I'm putting my bid in now okay, for okay. flipping a folding that's, video you, you've
1: been a fan for a long time that's like 10 years old no I'm just Is kidding it, really?
0: <laughs> it doesn't feel like okay. it uh, well, I've liked the videos that I did see and it looked very professional you, and I was very you. impressed by them.
1: all Sacramento local people. So it's good.
0: Wonderful. So I think the first time I saw you perform was with your
1: mom singing.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to Miss Mariama Mar- Souza, Mar- who I thought would be in the house today. <laughs> She's, we miss you. She gonna hear this. <laughs> I've since seen you really develop as a vocalist. Um, I've long been a Billie Holiday fan, Mm. but I believe the first time I heard Strange Fruit, was you singing at for a Kwanzaa
1: event. That's the first time you heard it I sing? think so. Ooh, wow.
0: And I found that rendition quite amazing. It's such a heart-wrenching song. And even though it's appropriate to things that we're experiencing in the community today, I'm not going to ask you to share it because I'm not ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not ready for that vibe.
1: Yeah, I understand.
0: But tell us about your relationship with singing. Uh, favorite artist who's inspired you? What do you wanna do with your vocal skills?
1: Singing is probably the most personal and the the least shared. uh, It's probably something that when I do a set, oh, I'm really feeling myself. Like, Okay, I'm gonna offer this more personal side of myself. And I have like a lot of elders in the community like, girl, you need to be singing more, that hip hop's cool, but I don't understand what you talking about. When you sing. I just love it. And so I think that now following your footsteps, being a communications major, what I'm realizing is it's not, one is not more important than the other. Um, every skill that I have has a place. And so for singing, for me, I'm probably a little bit more shy and I think from studying more of the jazz and being, you know, Billie Holiday, Nina Simone influence, things like that, I'm more of an up close and personal and um, make it more about the lyrics and the energy. Uh, but I'm looking forward and I enjoy doing live music and singing. So I've been doing some um, collaborations with local artists like the Bap Notes. And I have a show October 8th at Fox and Goose with the Bap Notes and uh, FIFA and the Funk House. And they're all live uh, jazz and hip hop. So, you know, I think with my vocals, it's a personal part of me. Um, I'm looking forward to releasing this next project called Medicine. And I'm actually doing some singing on it. So, you know, that's a real personal part of me. But I enjoy it. <laughs>
0: wow, good stuff to look forward to yeah. Medicine I'll be looking for that You see, I'm
1: trying to drop them in there I'm slipping in the promo <laughs> Give
0: thanks That's what you're supposed to do and, uh, Yes, indeed I'm familiar with Fever and the Funk yeah. House Really like them They're Don't rocking Don't know the Bat notes So I'm going to yeah, have to Google rocking. that Yeah, they're rocking Yeah, good All music right. Good
1: music, Sacramento sounds
0: <laughs> Wonderful While I know you have many talents The one that most sticks out for me Is your poetry so what do you write about and why?
1: The workshop that I'm actually promoting and doing around town is called Write, Speak, Heal. And I think finally making my breakthrough, I realized that's what I've been doing poetry, just to get to this workshop in order to extend it to the community. Writing was personal for me at a young age, going through the life changes that I had to go through, and it's been instrumental in my healing. So regardless if it's a piece that makes it and crosses my lips to the, to the crowd, or something that I you know, write and pour out crying until I can't cry anymore. It's my counselor and it's the space where I can articulate and release so that when I'm serving in the community, I'm not stressed and I'm not pinned up and I can still smile and be joyous. So, um, once I realized that, yeah, poetry is about sharing and performing and the applaud is wonderful, but when you really get to the base of it, when you get to the core of its intention, it's always about healing or creating a voice for an experience. And I noticed that, for me, when I got past that point where I was trying to write about the typical topics that I knew would get the snaps and the claps, and I peeled back those layers, and I realized the more vulnerable you are and the more you go there with those experiences and give your testimony, that's when you're actually doing more than just giving a performance. You're, you're writing, you're speaking, and you're healing. So that is what poetry has become for me. Um, and there's something that I've always admired about you and your mother's tajabu, because I came from the generation of poets where I was with you all at Carol's Bookstore And it was very intimate and up close and personal and about that spiritual experience. But then I also transitioned into a very um, uh, progressive community of young positive poets who were really into slam poetry. And so as I transitioned to the two, I realized that I really value the oratorical literary side of it. And I do enjoy slamming, but that's not my thing. And slamming became very popular. So the more slamming became more popular, the more I think I came a little more personal about it because I felt there was an element missing. Uh, and. For me, now I can see the, the, the balance in both. You wanna slam and you wanna be competitive and you wanna go out there and represent for your cities and where you're from and your ancestors, but at the same time, you gotta make sure to go into that deep, dark place and dig through there and get your healing at the same time. So once I found that balance, I can really be authentic when I sit down with you and say this is the performing and the entertainment and the fun and this is the part where I got that work and I did that spiritual work that I needed to do to grow.
0: Wow, give yeah. thanks.
1: Yeah, give thanks.
0: Well, would you please share a poem mm-hmm. with us now? Mm-hmm. Oh,
2: shoot, no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So I have this brand new piece that, um, that I wrote and to set it up, I just started growing vegetables. And I used to be a person that, oh, I don't don't have a green thumb. I could never do that. Oh, they would die. I can't water it. It's just too difficult to water a plant every single day. You know, (laughs) I just made it so difficult and so overwhelming. Like, dang, you wash your butt every day. You brush your teeth every day. Why can't you step outside and take that five minutes you're supposed to take with the creator anyway and water your plants and give thanks? Between that and going to the grocery store and buying this food that was rotten in my refrigerator within 45 minutes, that didn't taste like, my apples didn't taste like apples, the plums didn't taste like plums, we just started going to the farmer's market and I started growing food. And so this piece is called The Supermarket is a Pimp. The supermarket is a pimp. Where I become a super target for bright colors, sale signs and artificial flavors, savored by enslaved taste buds, safe havened by FDA thugs and shiny storefronts. The supermarket is a pimp promoting me what I want, food. But that shit, that shit ain't real. Frequently fucked with for the buck fix to split quick and provide me with a belly full of additives and tasty lies. Murderers. Advocating my slow, supersized suicide, clear as day, written in scientific languages on the labels, in small print underneath the fables, and pictures of fruit that represent fruit flavor. Synthetic substances created to control my behavior. Extra sugar, extra butter, extra flavor, extra cheese, deadly dyes laced with cancer, causing all human cellular disease. (laughs) So I got extra bougie. Only the natural organic section for me. Yeah, baby. Peace, please. That shit ain't real. I know you see it. That wax, plastic, unpeelable coating on the produce. GMO-grown crops defeating the purpose of what vital nutrients in fruits and vegetables are supposed to provide for you. God bless the child, but God bless the seeds, too. Because that shit ain't real. Tinkering and patenting seeds, altering them to harvest according to Monsanto's standard needs. And just think. Once a genetically modified crop is grown, the soil is tarnished. It will never again harvest or sow properly based on the toxins that are released. Picked by poor, tired, blistered brown hands and served up pretty for me. The fruit looks picture perfect but tastes bland between my teeth. Y'all know that shit ain't real. Don't blink. The water is laced from the purification products. Yes, the water is bleached. Let us bow our heads for the slaughter of our dear H2O. It is at its all-time high, low reach, just like the meat. Food like organisms grown and caged with no beaks or feet. Them chicken ain't never clucked and them cows ain't never roamed free. They're tortured, injected, destined to live, die, angry. Yet somehow, we can't figure out mad cow disease. That's when I figured out the FDA and my doctor, all this time they've been homies. It seems that I am much more valuable to them when I'm dumb, sick, and unhealthy. To get wealthy, why I consume. Tried to call the doctor and the doctor said, just take another pill, girl, it's all up in your head. All up in my head, all up in my head. Yeah, like a pimp all up in my head, dumbing down my intuition, forcing me to seek permission to eat. How can I ever trust the supermarket when it is plotting to kill me? When my self-righteous veggie burgers are laced with MSG? When flaming hot Cheetos and Coca-Cola are rotting our baby's teeth? When sodium nitrate causes cancer found in processed meats simply to make hot dogs, bacon, and sausage appear red and bloody. Hydrogenated oils in practically every processed treat, otherwise known as plastic fat for shelf life like them old school Twinkies. That shit ain't real. Neurotoxic chemicals in canned goods, salad dressing and diet drinks, vegetarian manufactured foods served with poisonous debris, artificially covered cherries leads to ADHD. Yes, even the proverbial cherry on the top is fake. You gotta be kidding me. Let's talk about butylated hydroxytoluene in potato chips and chewing gum to protect the embalming fluid and jet. Are we still having fun? Hmm cloproporanols raping thyroid glands in Chinese food rings it's been banned in several countries just not the land of sweet liberty in grocery stores the pimp is trying to kill me maybe it's time I plant a few seeds it's attainable and healthy and that shit that shit is real I guess it wouldn't be shit if I grow it myself, fine, huh? It's good stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my way of getting it out of my system because I like to watch a lot of documentaries. And the thing about documentaries is is as much as it's edutainment, you go through a little baby fit every time you watch. It's like, I can't use a plastic bag. Oh, I can't, you know. So I realized that every step I go, I can only be responsible for what I'm aware about. And if I make people aware about it through this, maybe the next time they go get gum, they'll say, I'll just get my gum from the health food store where there's no aspartame, which gives me cancer. Maybe, oh yeah, she did say sausage. Just trying to plant a few seeds to where maybe you'll take a more health-conscious choice when you choose your food. So that's my way of being mad at the grocery store. I heard that. <laughs>
0: Well, I was uh, when you said in, in one of those lines very near the end about planting a few seeds, and I was, I w- it took me on a trip because mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, literally, yeah, year it took me yeah, time.
1: it's not that difficult. I mm-hmm. I really did make it more complicated in my mind, and I took one hour. I took a pack of seeds. I got some dirt. I put it in a pot. I played some music. I put the seed in the soil. I covered it up and now there's food growing it is really that simple and we need to start understanding that the movie theater is not the only place we can bond we can get in the backyard and clear one little five by five corner and even if you don't have kids you pick up your nephew you pick up your grandma who still knows how to plant greens and you get in the dirt and the soil and you bond in a way that the minions and netflix can't provide So I realized that every time my daughter goes out there and sees that, she's noticing something growing. And for me, I realized that sometimes I'm planting seeds in my life and they don't feel like they're blossoming as fast as I want to. So having a physical plant that I watch every day, maybe it's I see the vegetable, but it's not time to pluck it you know, but you still, "Uh, it's coming, I see it, and other times, (laughs) like, it's taking too long, my hair's not locking fast enough, you know, you go through those moments, but it's still there, you can physically see your growth, so I encourage people, when you physically plant your fruits or your vegetables, say an affirmation with it, say your poetry, and say your healing, while you physically put it into the ground, so that as you go out every day, and you plant it, oop. That idea, that concept, that seed, I have something symbolic to grow with it. And that's really powerful. That's healing. And you're feeding yourself, too, you know.
0: So in addition to all the other things we've already talked about, you're also an activist. Mm-hmm. And I know you feed homeless folks at Cecil Chavez Park. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's annual.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Please tell us about that endeavor. How did you start? Why do you do it? How does it work? And how can folks help and get involved?
1: So the event is called uh, Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is. And we've been doing it for the last four or five years. It started on my birthday. And a lot of my clients and friends, what you going to do for your birthday, girl? I don't know. I don't feel like partying. So we said, you know what? Come to the house. And I have been doing it on my own. If I got a couple extra dollars. Go Cesar Chavez and hand out some sandwiches. So I said, you know what, y'all? Come over bring some bread, bring a couple of super-sized jars of Jiffy, get you some jam, and we're going to get together, and we're going to put some sack lunches together. And it took about one, two hours, maybe about, I'm going to say 15, 16 people, maybe 20 slid through. And then we caravaned over to Caesar Chavez Park, and it was like the most fulfilling thing ever. Everybody was excited, and we was like searching for people who look hungry, you know? It was like this love caravan, we all around searching, chasing people down, and, um, you know, everybody's was just so full. They were like, man, you know, I never, thought, I never thought about doing something like that on my day, you know. And so it grew, and I said, okay, I want to do this. I want to make this event. So the first event was at um, the Kumba Art Collective on Del Paso. Uh, Sister Iris Diamond allowed me to use the space. And so what we did is we had performing artists, everybody donated $10, and that $10 went to a sack lunch and a hygiene pack. And then on the day of, they would all come perform for 10 minutes. And that was cool. There was a really great turnout. But there started to become an element of ego, because there started to be more about the performing instead of the actual getting dirty, roll your sleeves up, and make some sandwiches. So I cut out the performing. I said, you know what? Come because you need to come because you need to come. And so people kept showing up. So year after year, it's grown. We serve every time anywhere from 250 to 300 people. and it's just really wonderful because we, we, we network, we spit our poetry, we do what it is we do to fill the sacks out. And now what it's evolved into is instead of us going on a caravan, it's the concept of everybody going to the dollar store and getting everything, coming together, putting the sacks together. But then we just all go to our respective communities wherever we're at. Because like I I tell everybody, you know where the homie is, is always on the corner, always hungry. You know those areas in your community. So now people sack them up. We have a good time. We either do a water balloon fight or have some kind of activity for the families and the kids. And everybody takes their 15, 20 bags and goes back to wherever their community is and gives out the hygiene packs or the, the sanitation packs and things like that. So it's just... it's 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 not even a baby anymore it just goes people like when is it let's go and it's awesome because you know everybody hits the paypal i get the money if they can't come i go and i raid all the dollar stores like all the dollar stores in sacramento know me now because when we cut up they're like oh the girl with the flip-flops because we clear you know clear them out and i'm hoping this year to do it um at sacramento city college where i'm now the um uh, student body senate uh, president there. And so I want to bring it to Sacramento City College and get a lot of us artists to come out and really be a part of it. But it's it's a living, breathing, moving thing now. It's got its own legs and people are just really, really, uh, look forward to it every year. So um, it's my baby, but it's our baby because we all contribute to it. And um, a lot of people don't know that it's illegal to feed the homeless in more than 25 states now, something like that, or 20 25 cities. And Sacramento is one of them. And so what happened is we used to do sack lunches. Yeah, you can be cited and fined for it. There's actually a lot, you can look it up. Don't take my word for it, do your own research. But the thing of it is, is that that attitude, suggest that if we don't feed them they won't be here and I don't believe that they're just going to be here and they're going to be dying on the streets and I, I don't I don't think we should advocate that so what we decided to do is stop doing food and we do heat and hygiene packs so flip-flops water bottles and things like that so if you have a collective if you have a group please feel free to email me at bookmissmariana uh, at gmail.com so that the next time it comes around you can bring your youth group you can bring your family um, and it's just a beautiful event it's just growing and growing. and could see this being something that goes city to city and becomes that love caravan but we enjoy it, and I'm just so grateful that the idea came to pass and I don't want nobody go to the jail so we won't give food but we'll give other good items that are needed yeah
0: wonderful mm-hmm. and could you spell that out for folks because I know yeah. some folks are going
1: ms yeah. b-o-o-k-m-i-s-s-m-a-r-i-a-n-n-a at gmail.com and that's where you can find me for any booking or anything like that
2: yeah
0: and I haven't got out to one of your events, but you know what yeah, we be doing. And I'll be keeping up, see, yeah, you can no, tell.
2: we will get to more. It. It's all good, girl. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, so you're also a mentor, mm-hmm. a youth mentor. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of work have you been doing with the youth? How do you mentor them? Why and how do your creative talents factor into this work?
1: <clears throat> so... Um, my second apprenticeship that I took after with Aquila Hatchett at Kinks International to become a natural hair care stylist, I had an apprenticeship with an organization known as Save Our Youth. And it was a brother and sister team who had their masters in early childhood development. And they created an organization uh, and an apprenticeship program called the, Prove- the Pro- Progressive Investing Institute for Focused Learning. And, basically, uh, what I learned there is how to become a community-based facilitator and activist. Uh, the The curriculum pretty much encompassed the concept of being able to go into the home, community, or workplace, uh, assess whatever problems uh, exist, and then, basically, you go through an order of operation of troubleshooting to find out what resources or skills are necessary to heal or fix that situation. So. Um, I remember when I was in the apprenticeship program and my mentor said to me, you're going to be a preacher one day. I was like, oh, hell, I ain't no preacher. I'm not even a religious woman. I'm spiritual. You know, I was like, no, never religion. no, Right. And so I decided to go to school a year and a half ago and I finally figured out what that meant. It meant you're going to speak and inspire people. And it's your job to use your voice to advocate for good causes as a mentor for me. I've been doing voluntary work for the last five years in different classrooms and nonprofit organizations that work with at-risk youth. Uh, And I've been life coaching. I didn't realize that's what I was doing for the kids. I didn't have a degree behind my name. I just surrendered to the process and realized that all the scholars and mentors and people that have been part of my life had downloaded so much counsel that it was easy for me to tap into it and give it to the youth that people really don't want to work with anymore because of their condition. And so I just started creating workshops. Okay, write, speak, heal. You're a poet, you know how to inspire people, you know how to kick people in the pants and get them off their pity party and figure out how to fix themselves and heal themselves, put a workshop together. So it went from just visiting the classrooms and speaking and doing a few poems to okay, sit down, we're gonna do a workshop. And now these workshops are multiplying because of being in school and progressively investing in myself, I have more information and more content base. At one point, I was like, oh, the only workshops I know how to do are hair. And now I have seven different workshops that I offer around Sacramento. So the mentoring for me is basically the interim to finally stepping into leadership in a way that I can say, okay, now you've paid your dues. You've been going around and doing it just because these babies need it. And now you can actually say, I want to get paid to do it. I wanna be prosperous at doing this and I actually wanna do this for a living. And so now I can charge for my workshops without feeling shy, without feeling um, like, oh, I don't know how much a lot of us black businesses go through that, not being able to value ourselves. So I know I'm an asset and I know the workshops and mentoring that I provide is gonna improve any you know environment that I go in. So if it's nonprofit and they ain't got nothing, give me that letter of recommendation. But if you got the budget, throw down for your girl because I know I'm going to follow through so I love it I adore it and I think that that's probably going to be the path underlying path of everything I do is giving workshops for the kids
0: great have you connected with Victoria Henderson at the Cultural Awareness Center at Sex City yeah Victoria is the
1: first person that gave me an opportunity to perform at City College when I was like 16, 17, 18, and it was actually because you all were doing spoken word at, like, Mm -hmm. the um, black history events and things like that. So I think through one of you, I I got the referral. And so that was actually my first paid gig um, on a city college campus. I got $300 for performing for an hour, and that was a big, big deal for me. Mm -hmm. That's what let me know I could do edutainment and get paid. So that was important.
0: Are you prepared to share a poem Mm -hmm. geared to the youth?
1: This piece is like a signature piece because I do it everywhere and a lot of people like to shout with me. Uh, And it's a piece that I do with the young people who maybe have never really done spoken word. It amps them up. And so every time I say this is our house, everyone repeats our house. So, you know, even though you out there, fill the mic up, okay? This is our house.
0: Our house.
1: We come here to counsel out Shout about the shit that makes us wild on out on the inside. We come here to ooze out the thick-lining pus of resentment from the dense air we breathe in cubicles and on bended knees. This is our house. our house. We come here to open mic, to get a bite of that, sip on some of that honey wine and uh, gotta get right next to you, gotta get right next to you. This is our house, our house where we pin in our name to defend the right to bear words and verbs and nouns and solutions and problems and freaky talk and politics and love stories and document our lives journeys. We bear our souls to strangers cause it's actually easier that way. This is our house. We fight the shakes in our bellies and feedback from microphones to carry home lighter shoulders, to feel bolder in the face of our fears in the morning. We share where there is more, there is plenty. This is our house where we stay laughing in stitches that mend up the ends that have been torn by the bitterness of daily corruption. We erupt from the center of the core of the earth, through our toes, out of guts, shooting from an esophagus and flaming from lips hot enough to singe the sun. This is our house where every brother and hater can feel it twinkle in the last part of their heart, where there might be an art lover still dying to enjoy and not judge anyone who dares contributes to the cipher. This is our house, house. where we bond through a word on every basis, where words are the case and we investigate, How much noise can we make? How much noise can we make? What will we do with this noise that we make? This is our house. Our house. Where we get it how we like it where you're a poet, a comet, a griet, a big mouth, where you're a first-timer, a local wonder, an imported treasure. You are the voices of the bodies of spirits that live through the spark of a thought. You are the breath of energy that fills this room plastered to these walls, leaving love stains of honesties and epiphanies. This is our house. Without us, there is silence a beautiful curse I do not prefer. Silence, that monster that has snatched the reason from far too many. The silence that have left the acid to burn on the tongues of so many. The silence binding the truth that need extending. For the silenced who needed to come here to ooze out the thick-lining pus of resentment of being hurt in the wrong places. This is our house, where we heal through camaraderie, give no apologies, and accept the noise as it escapes its brewing place. I am a stroke of a poet's paint on a brush of a canvas, as I will cover you in this house. This is our house and you are forever welcome to this house of spoken word. Wow. see
0: So and you've talked about this a little bit, but you're also a motivational speaker.
1: I've been doing that through the whole interview, huh?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which is just really, you know, fascinating is that you have all these different talents and it just goes to show they're not segregated. Mm-hmm. They're not really one Compartmentalized, they all kind of flow together right so what's been your favorite motivational speaking engagement thus far
1: I do it everywhere I go and that's what I mean by it's almost like um, being mounted and hit on the head with something you kind of get outside your body so I can't say it's like time I don't know it's all timeless and formless. I know that when I'm wide open and I'm I'm completely aligned, I surrender to the process and that happens so much now because I'm not worried about if it comes out right. I'm not worried about if somebody completely understands. I'm just surrendering. And so I don't know that there's one event that I can say, oh, this was the one where it moved me this particular way and is the best because Each and every experience, I'm able to walk away and capture something. And each and every experience is so different. And so for me, I guess I would say I'm looking forward so much to what every day is bringing me. And as long as I show up and show the hell out when I do it, I'm going to get something good. And it's getting to the point where on a daily basis, you know, besides going through the hard times and the difficult things, I'm literally jumping out of bed because I look forward to the blessing. Because I know I'm not gonna be afraid to surrender. Any moment that I can let that ministry come out or touch someone, even with my imperfections, it's my favorite every time, you know. That's it's good healing.
0: Um, what motivational speakers, poets and activists have influenced your work?
1: Well, it's funny. Dr. Frances Chris Welsing was just here, and I missed her because I was doing hair all day. But, um, you know, I really realized how powerful YouTube was and how many of our activists and our leaders are actually, you can touch them. You can type in their name and you can saturate yourself with all the information that you possibly can. And so what I realized is I like a lot of autobiographical films where they give information um, on our ancestors and the people that have come before us. I just watched Nina Simone and I think that I finally got it. You know, I, um, I was raised in Wosay Community Church, and I was raised around so many artists and activists and scholars that you don't appreciate it sometimes. And it's not until you go through that second wind of your adulthood that you actually seek the information, and it's in the back of your mind. Cause like, I was in that Wednesday night seminar that my mama dragged me to, and I was there, but it's not until you get it that you like, oh. So when I'm now looking at Nina Simone, where I'm now looking at Dr. Umar from the newer scholars, to the Tariqs, all the way down to the older scholars, I find myself getting saturated and really excited about the ones who were artists and activists, who understood that James Brown was an activist. He attached it with his art. Muhammad Ali, I'm a boxer. He's an activist. He attached that with his art. So for me, anyone who had a talent and a gift, but somehow knew how to open it up and get people to see um, the value in their history, the value in being politically active or aware, the value of being activists. those are the ones that I lean on. So for me right now, that Nina Simone is just really rocking my world. I was exposed to it, but it just busted me over the head and made me realize she was one of the most powerful activists and she was very unapologetic. And that kind of comes full circle. The first question you gave me is about what did you get into hip hop for? It was a lane that I could completely represent myself and say everything I wanted to say without censorship. And that's what Nina did. So right now I would say that's the one that's got me on fire. She, Her songs, her music, her words, she's really, really lighting me up right now. So she's all up in me. All
0: right. Yeah. Wow. Who would you like to collaborate with artistically that you haven't already collaborated with? Or that you
1: have? Maybe you you and your another? mother yeah <laughs> that was easy i think
2: that's what we works. just got that lined that might up be <laughs> <work>. <laughs> <laughs> next <no>. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right it's not included in your bio but mm. you have a genuine talent in styling natural hair mm-hmm. and uh, i know that your line is called nappy star right Ooh, would you talk about that a little
1: yeah, bit? yeah so uh, what we were talking about the workshops and you know, when I was not as confident to step out with my motivational speaking in the workshops, I was like, okay, well, what am I going to teach about? And now I got this big old voice. I was like, well, you know, hair inside out. And then I realized this natural hair care movement was going on, and all these sisters was shaving off their perms and running around with the big chop and not not w- knowing what to do. So you know, the the wonderful ten year span of apprenticeship that I had at Kinks International with Akila um, gave me the foundation I needed to you know explore myself, go through a couple of shops. I my own shop with my godmother now and um i think for me that was the topic that i can step out on and feel completely confident on so i do a wonderful workshop called the natural hair affair and um, i've done it for the deltas and and i've done it for the community and i can just see now okay you don't go searching for what it is you look at what your expertise is and you just share that gift and it comes off like butter so it's a hands-on workshop where you know, all these sisters who are running around going crazy because they finally gone natural, but they just haven't dealt with their hair since they were like 10 years old before some of them was getting their hair permed at five years old. So we have these grown women running around with this 10-year-old mentality because they don't know what to do with their hair and they're just ready, ready, ready for the workshop. So it's a success. And I, um, right now I'm just working on getting the curriculum together so I can Uh, shop myself internationally and go to different cosmetology departments and pretty much uh, teach natural hair care. Uh, The cosmetology departments, as is now uh, nationwide, do not include natural hair care components. The only thing that they include now is how to put a perm and a jerry curl in. And the last time I checked, I probably only see one person a year who wears a jerry curl. So I know that there's an open market there. And my goal is to kind of be the Madam C.J. Walker 3000 by combining the mission of teaching women how to care for their hair naturally, but then at the same time, getting that spiritual work. That's the phrase that we use in the dojo. That's the phrase that I use in the salon. You got to get that work. Don't just go natural for the fad. If you're going to go through that process understand how to love yourself from the inside out so no matter where you grow your hair or what you decide to do with it after go back to perm to locks whatever it is you are authentically loving yourself and at that point the choice that you make with your hair is just your preference so um, i realized how important um, and how wounded we are through our hair experiences I really understand that when I do consultations with, you know, special clients that come and sit down with me, uh, we are all seeking that healing and we've all been really hurt the black experience and hair. There's a lot of wounds that are connected to that. So I have the privilege and the honor every day to give consultation to women who are coming into their own and they're completely ready to learn how to deal with their little happy nappy afros. They're not worried about what anybody thinks because of their transition because they're falling in love with themselves and I have the honor to administer and, and guide them on that. And so for me, I think that natural hair care is something physically I won't be doing too much longer because 20 years of using these hands is very painful. But I have the information in me. I want to move from behind the chair and start to teach all the other Miss Marianas who want to have a nice full career of self-employment in natural hair care. So that's where it's at.
0: All right. Yeah. Give Thanks. Well, you know, I knew you were coming, so I had to get Yeah, you got the bun right. Dude Bam. Right <laughs> and, you know, I do my own. That's right. when that's I right. need it done I palm roll you and down.
1: We're going to be in a wedding, so I got you. I know. <laughs> I'll
0: find you. <laughs> um, okay. So you've talked about this a little bit. You're yeah. also a student. Mm-hmm and you are the student body president did yeah. i hear you say that yeah i
1: just won student body president at sacramento city college for 2015-16 congratulations that's big woo, that's woo, big woo, yeah i'm getting my proper on <laughs> and
0: uh, you're a communications major i just learned that okay mm-hmm. that's wonderful. well you
1: i knew that about you i'm not sure if you knew yeah. that's what i selected but yeah, you were yeah. kind I of in know. the back of my mind when i chose that so yeah yeah, thanks.
2: yeah.
0: So um, I guess my question for you is, where are you in your process, and what do you have in mind for the future in terms
1: of being a student? So I did everything backwards. I decided that I wanted to not go to college when everybody wanted me to go to college after high school. I did my natural hair care apprenticeship, and I was like, ooh, I like making money. So I'm like, okay, okay. Sorry, mama, I'm not going to go to a HB. I'm not going to go to the colleges. I'm sorry. And so she was a little worried. But obviously the creator knew that the natural hair movement was coming because I'm all right now. I got job longevity. <laughs> so uh, all these Africans is going natural now. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be okay. All right. But at the time, it was like, you're going to go to what? You're not going to go to college? And I was like, no. And I just always used to say, I'm going to go to college when I'm an old lady. <laughs> I'm not old, but, you know, like, yeah, yeah, so I'm still fine. But... Um, I guess I'm a little older and more mature. And so I've been in the community in the trenches volunteering and doing work with the community for the last 15 years. I said, okay, maybe it is time to go to school because you want to get from behind that chair. You want to start getting out and getting active. Maybe you need that little piece of paper. And then I realized, well, no, you don't really want the piece of paper. You're ready to get the formal aspect of what you've been doing informally. So the analogy that I use a lot of the time is like, a musician, you know, you got people that just blow, just naturally come out the room, woo, you know, playing an instrument, whatever. They don't need anything. And then they come to a point where they have the experience where they can actually get training. And that doesn't undo their natural born gift, but when you can actually read a language that can everyone else can read and in and, a and, and coherent understanding with you, then your skills and your resources can push even further. And so that's what I realized, okay, you're not going to school for anyone else, you're going to school for yourself. I also realized that my daughter, who is now entering high school, my only child, um, I wanted to anchor myself in a way when I transitioned and got out of hair in a way that it wouldn't be a struggle. I didn't want to just up and quit hair. So I said, go to school. And so what I did is I literally just went up there. I didn't overthink it because if I did, then I'd be like, oh, no, I don't want to be an old lady in school, and I don't even know how to memorize my password on Google. So, you know, I went up there, and I just signed up. I, just, I don't want to say Nike style, but I did. I just went up there and did it. And then two weeks before school start, I started getting the emails like, new semester, welcome. I was like, oh, shit, I signed up for college. What I done did? I'm about to be a student. I didn't sign my life away for two years. And then I just showed up. And the next day, I just showed up showed up, and the first semester I got 3.5 and was on the dean's list. I said, okay, I can do this. And then the second semester came, and I did good. And now I'm in the third semester, but I had to take math. I was like, oh, shoot, it was cute when you took all the comm classes and the ones you like, and that math came, and I remedial in math, okay? I, barely, I think the teacher passed me in high school because my teacher liked me, was you know, friendly with me, but not because I was the best student, and I hadn't done math for 17 years. And as a Leo, and as a student, and as a know-it-all, I don't like messing with stuff I know I'm not going to be good at, and that's part of what kept me away from school so long. I didn't want to be in a position where I might not win where I might not walk in and be able to capture the teacher and get the applause, oh, I don't know how to do this. And last semester, I almost failed, so I talked to my counselor, I said, what do I do? I got to graduate on time, I got the AAT program, I'm gonna go to Sac State or Stanford or something. He said, calm down, withdraw, and enroll this summer. And I did, I got a tutor, and I'm currently in summer school and have a B. And that's a big accomplishment for me. I'm saying that like I'm five-year-old, and I mean it like I'm five-year-old. I have a B in my math class. Thank you very much. (laughs) So, you know, I think people look back and, you know, okay, you won the president, you know, you're going to be running this school and helping legislate all these wonderful moves for a wonderful college. You serve 25,000 students, all this wonderful stuff. But I still struggle. I have to sit down and turn everything off and go over the same math problem seven times, and there is 56 problems. And I still have to sit back and say, you might not master this, but you have to be diligent. And so for me, what I've learned is when we tell our kids, just go, go to school. You need to be getting straight A's. I'll give you everything. It's a lot more difficult than that. You can apply yourself at something and not be as advanced as you want to be on the grades. I feel like I should be an A math student because my ancestors made math, but for some reason. So it really gave me a different way of looking at my child when she's coming home or she's struggling because now I know what it's like to have to calculate, okay, I got this many points on this. I got to get this many. It's a job. I'm working a full-time job as a student, but it's very fulfilling. Um, being the president now has put me in a position where being an activist working with our people in the trenches, I never really had to do anything formal. I never really had to speak the Queen's English and learn policy. I just, I see a job it needs to be done. I put my teeth in and I do it. Now it's a rule, and it's a lot of rules, and I got to learn them all, and I have to administer them, and I have to learn Robert's rules and all these things. But what I've realized is if you're going to once again be a master communicator, it means that you have to go into every environment and learn how to advocate and represent for your people. Be yourself, like Yeye says. Don't take off your calorie shells. Don't hide your tattoos. Don't smile in in the dry smile. Show all your teeth like you always do. But be able to go in there and know that law. So if you need to advocate for your people, you need to know that Queen's English to get that point across, to get that petition across to free that man, you do it. If you need to go in here and roll your sleeves up and put your sneakers on and get in the kid's face and talk a little hippity hop and throw a little slang in there, you do it. If you need to come up here and make sure to give representation for a brother who's been putting it down in this environment, you do it. That's a master of the ceremony. It means you could be swift and changeable and like water in every situation. They need me to boil hot, I'm going to boil it. They need me to make it rain, I'm going to make a storm and thunder. Whatever it is, it's my job to learn how to communicate and get that healing, get that work. That's what it's all about. All right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, a lot of things came up for me, but I'll just stick to what's on the paper. How about a poll? <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> My head is blazing too. It's okay. <laughs> so um actually I was reminded today that hurt people hurt people. Right? And so if the theme and everything I do is get that work, get that healing, whatever that transaction is, it could be a small smile that you share with a very unhappy person at Rite Aid who has to serve you. You may be able to end that transaction, shine light, and get that work. So uh, speaking of school, uh, one of the last classes I took with an excellent professor, ex- uh, Professor Church at City College. I'm gonna make sure she hears this. I did this piece where uh, oral, uh, literal uh, interpretation and we basically had to find um, works of art, whether it was poetry, prose, whatever it is, and string it together under a theme and make a masterpiece of it. And so what I did is instead of finding you know, a famous poet that everybody had heard before reading a piece that had been run through, I decided to go online to a suicide site. And I went online to the suicide site where all these people wrote their poetry. And uh, for me, it wasn't about who wrote it. It was about a voice that needed to be shared. It was anonymous people who are hurt and for whatever reason, their only life surrounds this little technology and they're using that to get their voice out. And so I realized that I always have to put myself in a vein of using my voice to help people who won't be heard. So what I did is I cried all night long, had a glass of wine and went through all these entries and poetries and and journal entries from people who had either attempted to commit suicide or are going through it. So it's deep, but I think that there's a lack of empathy right now for a lot of the hurt people that don't have the ability to save themselves. And a lot of us in humanity aren't taking the responsibility to spread that love that we need to touch somebody who may be going through something. You know, oh, I don't got time for that drama. You really don't know what a person's going through. You really don't know if your interaction or your attitude or your positive words may be the thing that lifts a person through their day or actually crushes them. And so this piece is um, dedicated to the three anonymous people who, um, who who are toiling with the value of life. Lately, it seems that everything is going wrong. I'm having to fork out hundreds of dollars I don't have on shit I shouldn't be breaking. Appliances, computers, cars, everything keeps telling me, God gives you what you can handle. Well, you know what? Forget that. I can't handle being this damn broke. I'm thousands in debt. I can't handle wondering if I'm gonna have enough left after the bills to feed my child. I'm grateful for the things I've earned by busting my ass like the house I bought to raise my child in. I'm grateful for this shit ass job that I have that underpays me, undervalues my talents and takes advantage of me. I'm grateful for my daughter and my fiance. I'm grateful for finally being back in college, but why should I have to be grateful for all this shit that's going wrong at once? Why should I be grateful for having to fork out 4,000 a month between oil, tires, furniture, and appliances? Why should I be grateful that I've been diagnosed with carpal tunnel in both my wrists and will probably have to have surgery? These are people that actually have some of the same issues that I'm going through. This is why I chose their passages. Why should I be grateful for the universe taking the big old shit right on the good things that finally happened to me and messing it all up? Things just keep going wrong. You know, it's only recently after another health disappointment that I think I want to go through with it. The problem is, is I'm afraid of not going all the way. I don't want to get stuck somewhere in between and be trapped here with brain damage or a disability. I don't want to talk to someone I don't know. And even if I did, which I know I can't, it would be just force them to try to stop me. And I just want some peace. I recently got a gun permit. So I'm legally allowed to buy one. Even though I've never used a gun before. And I've heard some terrible stories of people missing right in the spot in the head and, and being blinded but not dead. And I don't know if I could physically be able to shoot myself without flinching either. I wanna make sure that if I go through with this that there's no coming back. My meds stopped working. I'm feeling suicidal, I called 1-800-442-HOPE. I've never called a crisis line before. I had no idea what to expect, but being put on hold, however, I think you're missing the point here, hotline people. I give in. I cut for the very first time in a long time. And really, do I deserve to live? I took my own child's life away. I said we couldn't handle another. He couldn't speak. He couldn't say no. He couldn't fight for his life and I took it away from him. I could have had a beautiful one-year-old boy to this day and still I would have been with my fiance, but I fucked all that up. Now they wanna take my daughter. I'm all alone with nothing, no one to love me, no purpose, no reason to go on and I want my baby back. I wanna be with him up in heaven, is that so bad? I woke up this morning, it was different than the usual emotional and mental pain of waking up and realizing you're still in prison. A prison I created for my own mind. Although the sense of depression, despair, loneliness, suicidal, ideation, and self-hatred are still present, the pain was a physical one this time. I tried to wake myself up out of the fog and come and try to remember what I might have done to cause myself physical pain, specifically to my knee. I came to and remembered the events last night as they unfolded in my mind. I stood on the cross trails and road tracks and I waited for the oncoming speed train to make contact. I remember the speeding locomotive coming around the bend through the trees and seeing me for that first time. The engineer laying frantically on the horns trying to get me to move off the tracks. He was helpless to stop the events that were unfolding. Despite me planning for this to day after day, method after method choice, I felt like it was time. I wanted it to be so badly. Part of me realized I had things to sort out before I had to go. Knowing my original plans were to end it on the anniversary date of my car wreck, March 29th, I literally jumped off the tracks in the nick of time and landed in my bedrock below. After I walked the tracks back into town and began to cross the guardrails, I spotted a cop heading my way. He crossed over the tracks and began to turn to my direction. A surge of adrenaline rushed through my veins. I hurtled the rail and ran. By only means, truly hiding and escaping was no other time to run back down the tracks in the wooded area or find the closest patch. What would I do? What would I do? Which I managed to jump into and cover myself with leaves and debris. Shortly after jumping in the small island of shrubbery, I realized that I was not alone. I began to hear an animal. It was moving in my presence. I began to weigh my choices at this point. Do I stay here in the 30 degree night and possibly get bitten, or do I get caught by the police and sent to the crazy farm and listen to people scream all night long? I chose to take my chances with the creature I was in the shelter with. Not only would I have probably been arrested for possibly trespassing or sent to the mental ward, I probably would have warrants out for me. So between these possibilities, I stuck it out in the shrubs with my animal friend until I felt it was safe to leave and walk back to my car. I didn't realize that later that night and this morning, but I busted my knee up. I busted my knee running from the cop. I guess today will have to be the day. So that was from three different people and it was three stories. And so when I was going through these entries, I was like, wait a minute, I got carpal tunnel. Wait a minute, I got bills. Wait a minute, I'm in college. Wait a minute, my baby daddy wasn't shit. Wait a minute. And I was like, wait a minute, these are all things that everybody else goes through. And I sit up in judgment with people. And I sit up and say, how could you uh, do that to God? How could you? Who knows the day that somebody feels so weak that they didn't get the healing that they needed because you didn't stop and say, I know you're having a terrible day right here in Rite there, but at least you're alive. Can I hug you? I've been doing that lately. I've literally been surrendering in the street and just giving of myself when somebody looks like they need that healing. And when I need it, it comes full circle. So I didn't read this and I didn't do this piece to depress anyone. I did it because we need to constantly be mindful that we came to this planet to heal. This is a healing planet. Whatever contract you made with your mama, your daddy, your brothers, your sisters, no matter how perfect or dysfunctional, you specifically asked for each of these people in your cast of life. And if you are not getting that work and getting to the source of what it's about so that you can heal and be healed, you are wasting your time, you're wasting your body, and you're wasting God's energy. So for me, I say, if you know somebody that's struggling, Take five minutes out of your day to just send them a text or send them a call. Take accountability for the, for the pain that someone is going through. Don't take on all their weight and all their shit, but make sure to reach out. That's part of paying tithes. That's part of paying offering, not just physical money at an institution, but helping to heal and give back. So I wanted to make sure to do that piece. And for whoever those strangers are, I shared some uh, really painful experiences that they went through, too, and I felt that I needed to share their story.
0: So my last question for you is, um, I know you have CDs, I know you Mm -hmm. have videos, do you have any publications?
1: No, and that's something that I want to do. Um, Angela Williams, who is a very prominent person in my life as far as being my uh, mentor in this new educational path that I'm taking, he's been kind of mentoring me and getting me out of my shell to really do my memoir. And so I had this whole plan for this book I want to do. He was like, let's do your memoir first. Mm-hmm. That's that's the information that you're an expert at. Nobody could tell you about that story. You can't tell that story any better than you. So um, there's there's a couple of chapters in. And I think that with the new writing classes that I have with this semester, it's going to give me a little bit more zest and a little bit more depth in my writing ability. So I'm enjoying just getting it out of my system. But um, as far as published works, I don't have any books. I've been put sprinkled in websites here and there. And, you know, there's some works on people's special projects, but no published works yet. I'm looking forward.
0: Well, thank you so much for thank being you for a wonderful me. guest on Inca-a. Coffee and Poets Podcast at Naked Lounge with Nsa'a Lawrence Deacon's event. And with thank me, you. your guest host, Dr. V.S. Chochezi mm-hmm. and our live audience. Hey. Make some noise, y'all. <laughs> <Hey. laughs> uh, to conclude, do you have any final remarks for us? Um.
1: I would like to sing I'm gonna stand up and I'm going to do strange fruit for you anyway. Okay. Cause that's what you said. Um, I'm I used to sing to strange fruit over and over because it was the only Billy holiday song I knew when I started singing Billy. And I actually had a couple people like, girl, you need to learn a new song. Right. <laughs> and you were the only person that said, I just love that. And I had no idea that's the first time you heard the piece. So I would like to stand up and sing that. And, um, I think what I would like to do is, I know it's a sad song. If you listen to Billy, she has a really eerie voice. And um, there are plenty of times where people told her her voice was too awkward, it was too dark, people couldn't really appreciate it. But um, there's a time and a place for everything. And the song Strange Fruit is, um, it breaks down the concept of physically being on the chitlin' run and going from performance to performance and going in the back doors to entertain. And seeing your people hanging from trees and the trauma that that creates. And uh, usually before I do any spoken word anywhere, we pour libation. And so I invite you all, if you've never poured libation, you might have seen the homies pour a little 40 out to the, to the earth. That's an African tradition. That comes from taking water and honoring the ancestors. So when I sing this song, Strange Fruit, I want you all to close your eyes. And even though it may illustrate and paint a picture that is not a pretty picture, it's a picture that reminds us of what our ancestors have gone through. It reminds us that we have freedom fighters right now on the line who are educating and putting themselves out for our benefit. And so uh, it's a libation song in remembrance. Uh, When we walk around and we see these kids acting crazy, running around with post-traumatic stress syndrome, uh, they are the fruit. They are the, they, the, the strange fruit that was hanging from the poplar tree as they fell down and went back to the earth. The seeds that are now coming up are those hurt babies. And so uh, this is Billie Holiday's strange fruit. So just close
2: your eyes and uh, go
1: on the journey with Billie Holiday. You know, chitlin run. and You are hungry. You're tired. It's hot. You got another city to get to. as soon as you get there you're going to be treated like a dog and you probably will be hungry still in your spirit and in your heart but you're going to sing your song and this is what you see on the way
2: southern trees Yeah.
1: When we think of our ancestors, we call on the name of all our ancestors. We call on the spirit of Marcus Garvey. We call the spirit of Nina Simone. We call the spirit of, of Stokely Carmichael. We call the spirit of Benyokanen. We call the spirit of all the ancestors of Imhotep, of the spirit of the Red Man. We call on the spirit of the land that we trespass, every unknown body that lines the Atlantic Ocean. We call on the spirit of you, and we ask that you come and be with us and protect us and guide us. We ask that we don't allow our religion and our beliefs to divide us, that we go back to tradition. Our ancestors laid down the tradition, and we remember that. We remember you. We remember you. Hashem.